ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome back to another episode of the Lux Unplugged podcast. On this occasion, I've got Claudia Hittai joining me as a co-host. Our listeners will certainly remember Claudia when she appeared as a guest last year when we discussed the widely covered COP26 conference in Glasgow. Claudia, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Adrian. It's great to be here again. It's an absolute pleasure to have you back on. But to provide a bit of context, the reason why I brought you back on is actually very simple. Our team has expanded and a lot of hot topics on our plate. After launching Dark Matter Uncovered, our special series on space in Luxembourg and beyond, we also wanted to address the sustainability topic in more detail and this by launching a dedicated series. But more to come. But first and foremost, welcome to the Lux Unplugged team. Thank you, Adrian. I have to say it's great to be part of the Lux Unplugged team. And listeners, stay tuned. We have some exciting new episodes coming your way. Now, Adrian, I'm really looking forward to talking to our guest speaker today. Indeed. Today we're talking to Philip Vestelund, founder and CEO of Our Choice. Our Choice is about sustainable fashion and the circular business model. This topic, I have to say, is right up my alley. So it's great to be here as a co-host. Adrian, what do you think? What were your takeaways? Well, normally we ask questions, but here Philip makes it even more interactive by asking us questions in return. Yes, that was really fun. Indeed it was. But jokes aside, we had a very thought-provoking discussion on how to define sustainability and also how to turn profits. But indeed, being sustainable comes at a cost. But there are also long-term benefits that our listeners will discover in a few moments' time. And now, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Philip Vesterlund, founder and CEO of Our Choice. Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So before we kick off this conversation on OurChoice.eco, can you please introduce yourself? Definitely. So my name is Philip, um, and I would introduce myself as a psychologist, entrepreneur, and founder of Our Choice, obviously. Uh, I'm passionate about circular economy and impact in business. Why did you choose the entrepreneur route? Well, I've always had a million ideas and questions for that matter. And I remember as a kid, my school teacher would phone my parents and say that I was arrogant and disturbing um, because I had so many questions and I was so curious. So I'd say my energy always led the way. Um, and I turned to psychology first because I've always been interested in behavior emotions and the human side of business. And then during my studies, um, I always spent my summers in Sweden on the West Coast. We have a huge problem with plastic waste coming onto our shores and our beaches. Every year we clean up together as a community. And at one point I was looking down at my feet and I was thinking, why am I cleaning up plastic and wearing plastic? It's like the equation didn't add up uh, basically. So I knocked on the incubator's door at the University of Luxembourg and um, the rest is history. Now moving back to your to our choice, so the, the venture that you, you've started, I know you like defining yourself as a circular visionary, but in more practical terms, how do you think that your company through our choice is here to fulfill that vision? I love this question, um, but I would also like to ask you if, if you want to tell me how you define a visionary? That's a good question. I'm not used to people asking me questions back. But for me, a, vis a visionary or someone with a, a very strong vision is someone that sees something that the wider public can't actually perceive. So you can anticipate a, a need or, or something in the future that, that will become relevant at some point. 
and you just need the time for it. <laughs> you need the resources to wait for it. But in any case, you know, it's like Bill Gates. I'll give you an example. Bill Gates knew that software powered in scale or producing, you know, at scale uh, was going to be something that uh, that would just, uh, you know, infiltrate the entire environment, the entire world. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you, Adrian. I just like to contextualize. For me, uh, being a circular visionary means always pushing boundaries and looking at the entire supply chain. So we see goals made by the European Union and the United Nations, but what does that really mean for real people? So I think we need to be creative and we need to make circular the new standard, and that requires vision and forward thinking. Running a circular business is not what you'll read about in your business textbook. So it's about pushing that you know, boundary. Um, and our choice naturally helps me fulfill my vision by letting me, like I said, I love asking questions and that's exactly what I get to do uh, running our choice. I can put all my ideas into practice every day. And today I surround myself with people who are ready to be challenged and importantly, they're ready to also challenge me in my vision. And together, we can challenge the linear economy with uh, greener ideas, if you like. So if I go to ourchoice.eco right now, I can buy the world's first circular sneakers. I wanted to ask you, what makes your shoes circular and sustainable? Great question. So our entire business model is built on what's called the circular value hill as published by Circular Economy in 2016. So we only work with natural raw materials and everything is repairable and recyclable. So you get the sneakers online. If or when they break, you send them back to us and we repair them for you. If we can't repair them for you, we up or recycle the materials. We do have third-party verifications for all of our claims being plastic-free, made in the European Union under the labor law, and the third-party verification that we only use natural raw materials. So we are entirely uh, plastic-free, and there's a loop for everything. That's why it's circular. I guess the, the biggest challenge when you launch a product or when you manufacture something where you want to make sure that it's, it's in line with sustainability measures or sustainability metrics, you need to obviously pick very carefully who you're working with, such as your manufacturers, who's part of the supply chain. So my question to you, Philip, is what were your kind of KPIs that you, you had when uh, searching for those uh, partners? How did you make sure that they actually aligned not only with your values, make sure that they, they were producing stuff that, that was representing your expectations? Also a great, great question. And the fashion industry is very linear. In fact, 99% of it is linear. So I wanted to, to create this circular brand. So naturally, that was a challenge for me. But I would say the core part of it is relationship building. And also the old saying, seeing is believing. So the majority of uh, factories and I would say people in the fashion industry, they're looking at volumes and quantity instead of quality. So that was the biggest challenge. But again, going back to the relationship building, um, we did a lot of traveling. We manufacture in Portugal. So it was a matter of finding the right people with the right values. So that being, you know, sustainability but also looking into how are people doing? 
What's the factory like? What's the landscape like? And where can we be together with with this partner in three years? So KPIs, I would say that is a very uh, traditional way of thinking. Of course, we have our, our metrics, our goals. But in order to launch a circular business, I, I believe that you have to go with your values and you also have to be visionary in that, as, as explained earlier, I guess. Uh, you need to be creative and you need to, yeah, to think about where you'll be and what kind of partners you want to be with in a couple of years. So I would say that was a, that was a challenge um, and I'm super happy that we, we found a great team. As a follow-up question, actually, were you exploring multiple countries or was Portugal a, a major consideration because the partners in the country were in line with your values and, and the cost? But just what was your thought process? How would you, how would you be screening all those, uh, all those potential countries? That's a great question. So we looked into Portugal and Italy. And I mean, for multiple reasons, we went with Portugal um, because... Well, it is an amazing uh, nation when it comes to textile, leather, when it comes to, you know, the craftsmanship, but also, you know, getting our, our third party verifications. I, I could see that the transparency was there. So basically, we have factory audits. Um, we, we understand what it's like working in this country because it's all very regulated. So not only the European labor law, but also, uh, yeah, in the nation, there's a very strong uh, culture around um, rights for workers. Uh, and I think it's very, it's very important to mention the human side of business and also the human side of circular economy and sustainability. Sometimes I find the landscape is very focused on you know, CO2 and metrics and what's sustainable and what's greenwashing and, and what's not. But in a circular economy, everyone's on board and no one's ever left behind. I think that ties into the definition of sustainability, which is it has the social component and the environmental component and the economic component. Um, so while I think the world agrees upon this general definition of sustainability, I think to consumers, it means different things. And it's also really difficult, I guess, to balance, to find the balance that works for you between all these different aims of sustainability. And so um, now I kind of wanted to challenge you a bit. So you use um, some animal-derived components, for example, calf leather, to produce your um, shoes. And I know that some people are specifically looking for shoes that are vegan, so that do not have leather. And I wanted to ask you, how do you, um, are veganism and circularity conflicting goals? Or how do these two trends um, mesh with your definition of sustainability or what you're trying to achieve? Great question. I, I will also, I will not challenge you, but I do want to ask you and, and Adrian, do you know what vegan leather is? is made of i don't know what it's made of adrian i'll take a guess it's uh well f first of all uh non-animal derived um products for sure and claude and i were discussing it offline before we actually talked to you uh, it's probably made out of synthetic components that um i think of maybe sometimes far away from sustainability standards but that is my short answer so maybe I'll, I'll let you i'll give you back the floor philip to 
to give us your your view of things. Yes, yes, definitely. And I I just want to you know say uh, that I I do respect um, veganism. I think that is you know that is something I would never never challenge. You know the the choice of not eating or or using animal derived um, products. Uh, but I think for me going back to the definition of sustainability, well, that is circular economy. And I think veganism and circular economy are two completely different things. So again, we need to properly define what's sustainable. And then we have to make, yeah, to make our choice. And when I started, well, I did start because I had no choice for sustainable fashion. So I had to create my own. We use calf leather sourced as a byproduct from the Italian food industry. And I don't know if you know this, but only 20% of animal hides are being used and the rest is being discarded. Instead, we see materials sometimes marketed as vegan leather. And I would say around, well, pretty much all of it is plastic based. So if you see, you know, I don't know, some campaign about pineapple leather or apple leather or what have you, there is a very big risk that it's also plastic-based. And with a plastic-based material, the use period is also uh, a lot shorter. So in general, we use our plastic-based sneakers from anywhere between 3 to 12 months. For a high-quality sneaker, and I'm I am talking about my own product here, but we estimate that you can use um, the sneakers for about seven years because you can repair them because the materials are high quality and they're also a byproduct from the food industry. So as long as we eat beef on this planet, we are going to have this byproduct that is leather. And sustainability for me is using what we have on this on this planet. So. That is my that is my answer, and um, I'm super happy to be challenged. So so thank you for asking me these questions. But this to me is really fascinating that your shoes last so long. I mean, I can't even imagine it in today's fast fashion world to think that I could use shoes for up to seven years. When did you first produce your shoes, and are you still wearing that first pair? Yes, and and I also want to add like it's very you know. It's back to basics, right? I remember my grandparents, they used to go to the cobblers and, and have their shoes uh, repaired. So, I mean, it's the innovation here really is the business model. So incentivizing uh, people brought up in the fast fashion culture to actually um, do something better. Uh, so that is a big part of, of our mission. Um, but back to your, to your question, the first pair, I still have, and I love them dearly. Uh, in fashion, we, we usually work with around six samples. So I've been wearing uh, my own stuff since, well, since 2019, 2020. So it's, it's, it's been a long time, and I'm happy to say that they still look, um, they still look good. <laughs> now, talking about actually your own shoes, right? So you've had them for a while, but... That begs also the question, let's just say you've got your antithesis in front of you. So someone who um, was not converted, I mean, I wouldn't say converted, but um, someone who's, uh, who's, who's been buying fashion 
every quarter and has no consideration for circular and, and sustainable uh, standards. So if you had a chance to actually pitch your shoes to what I call a traditional fast fashion consumer, how would you do it? So um, I think as a, as a background, I, I believe that the behaviors of the so-called traditional fast fashion consumer is radically changing as everyone is actually becoming more and more conscious. So I think the lines are blurred between the fast fashion and let's call it activist uh, consumer. I mean, surveys will tell us this, but also if you look at the green part of the fashion market, we can see that it's growing. Um, it's growing uh, with 30% for each and every year. So the interest is there. We have customers interested in green fashion, but the transparency index, e.g. how much you can find out about the, you know, the fashion product that you're buying, it's, it's below 23%. So there's a lack of transparency and there's an interest from the customer. And that's exactly what we're about. We're about bridging this. So we're basically turning customers, traditional customers, into users in the circular economy. And that's exactly how I would pitch it. And I do talk with many, many people each and every day, but I think we need to, to call it out. I can do a very nice sales pitch, but what really works is research and we can present these numbers. We, we can have the traditional customer actually become a user in seconds. That's my firm belief. Actually, that makes me think of a another question because um, I think the one component that you didn't mention in in what you just said is perhaps the the price component. So maybe a traditional fast fashion consumer is mainly driven by price considerations. Even if I, I think in aggregate, you, you might argue that if you buy one pair of shoes, like a sustainable pair of shoes like yours, will cost you more but will last way longer compared to someone who's spending a quarterly budget on new stuff. And then in aggregate, it will be more because you throw it away quicker. But how would you, is, is in the conversation that you have with those people, is the price component an, an important barrier to them? I would say yes and no. Uh, I think here is where, you know, many people need to rethink. So what am I actually spending money on and how can I make this an investment? So we're very good at, especially in Luxembourg, uh, investing. But what about investing in your wardrobe? So what about a capsule wardrobe that you can wear year after year after year because you can't repair this stuff? So for the sneakers and, and taking the sneakers as an example, so they will cost you 230 euros today. But as you can wear them for seven years, you won't need to get that second or third pair every year. So you actually end up saving 600 euros over the course of seven years while looking after the uh, planet, but also the people on this planet. Again, talking about our partner factory and the people we work with and our third-party verifications. So it's a matter of rethinking, but it's also my job to display the information. What's interesting here is that the, um, the younger generations are usually more into it. So they understand investing and they understand uh, green fashion and circular economy, they're not very attached to the idea of a pair of sneakers costing you 50 or 79 euros. They understand that something is 
very wrong with the fashion industry. So if you think about it, a pair of men's shoes have been the same price for the last 20 years. Now, how is that possible when we see the economic growth on a global scale? Well, that is happening because people are cutting corners in the supply chain. We have child labor in Asia and we have polyester as the main ingredient and the use period is very, very short. That is why fashion is, um, let's call it cheap. Um, and if you spend a bit more, you will essentially get you know, greater quality and you will be able to look after people and planet. I would also say that I see plastic sneakers, designer sneakers uh, with a very short lifetime. I mean, I see the price ranges, right? It's stretching from 250 up to 500 euros. So I understand the, um, the discussion regarding the price, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's very different for, for everyone. So we, we also need to contextualize that question. I have another question that's more on the, the business side. So you're originally from Sweden. Why did you actually choose to launch your company here in Luxembourg? Well, for me, it was a very natural choice as I studied here. I did my master's here and I fell in love with the ecosystem. It's young, it's vibrant, and I can see how the sustainable and the circular awareness here is very, very strong. Uh, and as I mentioned, I do talk um, to a lot of people here. Uh, additionally, uh, we live in a globalized world. I see myself as a global citizen. Obviously, I look forward to establishing a presence in both you know, London, Stockholm, Berlin. I think the, the startup scene these days, it's, it's global. Talking about your future plans, uh, Philip, I understand that obviously you've had a very successful start and, and you've been evolving quite rapidly since you established yourself, as you just mentioned, uh, in Luxembourg because of the uh, favorable ecosystem. Could you please tell our listeners what you've got planned or in the pipeline, I would say, in the next 12 months? Definitely. So we are right now planning for our pivot, uh, which means that our choice.echo will become a marketplace. So we will utilize the PCDS. It's the product circular data sheet developed here in Luxembourg by the Ministry of Economy. So we will use this protocol to verify fashion products and thereafter we will onboard these external products onto our marketplace, our choice. Echo. We pair this with local green blockchain to make sure that we have 100% transparency and that every uh, fashion garment also has a digital twin. This means that we can help sustainable fashion brands to commercialize verified products. So instead of having green fashion brands spending 30 to 50% on marketing for their specific websites, we can have all traffic go on to one single marketplace, ourchoice.echo. This means that brands can spend less on marketing, they can make more money, but it also means that the customer and the future user, well, basically that the customer can become a user in the circular economy. So you go and get your verified product, but the relationship will start. So today, think about it. When you get a fashion product, the relationship with the brand ends. I believe this is where the relationship needs to start. So you go onto our marketplace and you get your circular product, but you can also interact 
with the product. So that means that you can book your repair, you can book your recycle, and you can also resell your circular products to your peers, also using our choice.echo. So that is the pivot, and we have well, yeah, we have quite a few activities lined up to make it happen. I've been spending a lot of time creating the infrastructure around this to make sure that we focus on transparency, circular economy, but also that we think about collaboration. So I've never believed in competition. We have brands doing great, but the problem is, and that goes for every startup, 90% of startups fail in one year. That number is even higher uh, for the fashion industry because it is capital intense. It's highly competitive. So the idea is for us to really come together and to have more customers become users in the circular economy. So we can really apply the concept of the sneakers to every fashion product out there. You've been in Luxembourg for a number of years now. So you've come in from Sweden. You've got an external view of things. In your opinion, Well, let's say if you were given the power to change anything in Luxembourg, what would you change? Great question. Um, I would like to definitely see more ESG and impact investments in Luxembourg. So basically more money flowing toward, you know, green startup. Uh, But this also goes for the rest of the world. I mean, there is a discrepancy and we definitely need more money uh, flowing toward green and impact driven uh, startups. On the flip side, being in Luxembourg, it's a, it's a young, vibrant ecosystem. Um, we're in a very good place. So I feel super excited to also be part of the movement because it is happening. I'm a pretty restless guy, uh, but I know that, um, that we can already see more green uh, when it comes to investments. And I think together in Luxembourg, we can shape this landscape and we can make circular uh, the new norm for startups in a few years. Philip, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. And uh, of course, it sounds like we definitely need to get you back on the show in, in the coming months to uh, to further expand on all the interesting things you, you mentioned earlier. So uh, I definitely look forward to, uh, to having you back. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And yeah, let me know and I'll be back. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time.